sports figures' lives, where they came from, how they were developed, and what they went through to achieve, as it were, the pinnacle of their profession, reaching the Hall of Fame in whatever sport you may be dealing with. And they're interesting stories, and they are inspirational stories. Sometimes they are very, very sad stories, and it really gives you encouragement to see how what people overcome and what they have to do to achieve the pinnacle place in their particular sport. I don't know who you may admire as a sports figure. There's a lot of them. But the Bible is full of Hall of Famers as well. And I enjoy reading the biographical sketches that God gave us about particularly men and women in the Bible and what they experienced and what they went through to be placed, as it were, in God's hall of fame, reaching the pinnacle. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I, would, I would feel great to be mentioned in some type of sports magazine or whatever the case may be because of my accomplishments. That would be just fantastic to have your name written in a page like in the Times or maybe Sports Illustrated about your accomplishment, what you were able to do. But can you imagine having your name put in the book of books? The greatest book, the greatest love letter ever given to humanity and having your name mentioned on one of the pages in the scriptures. I, I can't imagine. That would be just fantastic. Our world system says that he that is greatest among you is a person who has got power and position and prestige and popularity and our world panders to people just like that. God looks at people's lives and their success a whole lot different. He says that he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. People who don't fight for the top, but people who really seek to fight for the bottom. As we took a look last week, they're not looking for upward mobility. They're looking for downward mobility. They're looking to serve others and not talk about how many people are serving them. And when you look at the Bible, the Bible is full of lists of Hall of Fame people in God's eyes. I can go to the book of Romans chapter 16. I read the names of 26 individuals that Paul will mention that evidently make up the church there in Rome. And then I can go to that great list of names in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. That hall of fame of faith that are mentioned there. 15 plus names. And the reason why their names are mentioned is not because they were able to hit a ball so far or home runs or make touchdowns or earned a lot of money or had power and prestige and position. No, 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 no. Their names are mentioned because they lived with a certain heart. 
a certain mindset, a certain attitude that Paul talks about in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, whatever you do, don't think about yourselves, but think about others. Don't look after your own needs, but look after the needs of others. And then he tells us, here's the supreme example of what I'm talking about. Even Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself, became a servant, a bondservant. In other words, he chose to do this. And he became a servant, lived as a man, giving up his rights to deity so he might face every obstacle, every sin, every temptation that you and I face. And yes, come through it without any difficulties or problems as far as succumbing to those things. He's our supreme example of what servant heart, servant mindedness, and a humble spirit is all about. But Paul takes up the torch of two other individuals. And he talks about their lives. Two names that are also mentioned in God's hall of fame. And they are listed in the book of Philippians chapter 2. The first one we looked at last week was Timothy. Timothy. Timothy is mentioned 23 times in the writings of Paul. 23 times. But this next fella that we're going to talk about this morning who had that humble Attitude just like Jesus is only mentioned twice in the Bible. And he's mentioned in the same book, chapter 2 and chapter 4. And his name is Epaphroditus. Do you know what Epaphroditus' name meant? His family, who's raised in a family that were pagans, they served and worshipped a goddess named Aphrodite. And they named their boy Epaphroditus after that goddess, which meant devoted to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. His name later on would become known as Charming. And his lifestyle, once he became a child of God, nurtured with that heart and that attitude, becoming just like Jesus himself. He would become an individual that was charming, that Paul could depend on, that Paul could use in faithful ministry. You see, Epaphroditus evidently was converted when he was in the, living in the city of Philippi. And the church at Philippi was concerned about Paul because Paul was in Rome at this time and he's in prison. And so they want to find out about Paul. So guess who they send, not only to find out about Paul, but also to take some things to Paul from the church and the Christians there in the city of Philippi to try to meet Paul's needs. They send this guy named Epaphroditus. Now that may not be anything to you and me. All of us, I imagine, would take up some goods, some items to take across, to, across the street to our neighbors or maybe to the next town or ne next city or to the hospital or we've taken food to people who are sick in, in, in their homes. That's not unusual. But what if you going there could cost you your life? Now that's a little bit different, isn't it? You see, Paul is held in the household of Caesar as a prisoner. He is chained to a prisoner 24-7.
He is a political prisoner. He wants to meet with Caesar himself to make a defense before Caesar of what he's accused of. Paul is not only a Jew, but he's also a Roman citizen who has certain rights. And so Paul is using this as an opportunity not only to take the gospel to the city of Rome, not the way he wanted it done, but the way God wanted it done, which is also having an impact upon Caesar's own household because some of his own soldiers and members of his own household are becoming obedient to the faith. So when you go visit with Paul, I imagine they write your name down. Oh, here's another one of those Christians that's causing disturbances in the empire. We're going to keep our eye on him. And Epaphroditus chooses to put himself, Paul says, at risk. As a matter of fact, let's read about it. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. I hope to, in the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself may come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and he is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me the sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad or you may rejoice and may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Back in the second century, there was a society of Christians known as the riskers or the gamblers. That word risk in the Greek language means exactly that. It means to take a gamble. And that's what Epaphroditus was willing to do as a servant on behalf of his brother and fellow Christian, Paul. He was willing to risk his life risk his life because he's going to go visit with a political prisoner that possibly will die. And he possibly gets put on the list and identified with Paul as being one of those Christians that's causing problems. So he's willing to risk being imprisoned himself and go to Paul's aid, taking those needed items to Paul to help support him while he's in prison. Would you do that? 
If you're new, if you knew for sure that your name was going to be possibly put on a list, that you would become a target of Rome, just like Paul had become, would you have taken the risk? Not only that, but when you read what's going on with Epaphroditus, either on his way there or after he got there, what happens to, what happens to Epaphroditus? He got sick. Some scholars believe he got the dreaded Roman fever that killed, killed thousands upon thousands of Romans that were in the empire of Rome. Matter of fact, the sickness that Paul had was so bad, Paul says he could have died. And yet Epaphroditus, in spite of all of that, risked himself, risked his health, to go to the aid of his brother in the Lord, the Apostle Paul. And this is what Paul will say in the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, to the church at Philippi. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. Listen to it. What he, brought to, what he brought to Paul from the, from the Christians and the church at Philippi, Paul says that was a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Have you ever thought about when you minister to the needs of people? Is it going up before God as a fragrant aroma? A sacrificial offering? to the glory and the honor of God. But that's the servant heart. That's the humble attitude. That's the life of Timothy. That's the life of the Apostle Paul. That's the life of this man named Epaphroditus. He's not concerned about his own welfare. He's concerned about the welfare of the church at Philippi. And he's concerned about his brother in the Lord, the Apostle Paul. And he makes the honor roll, as it were. He makes the hall of fame being mentioned in one of the most positive, uplifting letters that you'll ever read out of the entire scriptures. The book of Philippians. You see, Epaphroditus was a lot like Timothy. He was willing to lay down his life for others. How about you and me? When the opportunity arises, you hear about somebody in need. Do you find yourself being moved to action, doing something for them? Or is it a matter of convenience for you? If I have time, I might go do that. It's just so easy to text, isn't it? To call rather than just go. And do. That was the heart of a man named Epaphroditus. Once named after being devoted to a pagan god, now identified as being devoted to the God of all gods, the creator of the universe. He gambled his life. He was willing to lay down his life. As a matter of fact, what is it that Jesus said about love? 
No greater love has a man than this, than to do what? To lay down his life for his friends. John chapter 15 and verse 13. And do you notice the three things that Paul says about Epaphroditus? Paul says, this man, Epaphroditus, is my fellow brother. We are part of the same spiritual DNA. We're part of the family of God. We're brothers in Christ. You know, I have a physical brother and I have a physical sister. But I do not have in common with them that I have in common with all of you. You see, you are part of my eternal family. They're not. And I hate to say that. They're outside of the body of Christ. They haven't obeyed gospel yet. And they're not getting any younger. And the time is getting closer for their departure. And I hope and I pray one day that they'll respond. But you, you are my eternal family. Paul says Epaphroditus, he's my brother. We have the same spiritual DNA, the blood of Jesus Christ. We're part of the same eternal spiritual family. And then he says he's my fellow worker. That's right, we partner in the Lord. And you and I are partners in the Lord, are we not? We come together as a congregation. We do things together as a congregation. We seek to minister as a congregation. We give our money that supports missionaries and activities all over the world. We are partners with others who are trying to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a lost, hurting, dying, cursed world. And Paul says of Epaphroditus, he and I have the same focus. Not only do we have the same DNA, but we have the same focus. The lost souls, those that are separated from God because of sin. And then he says this, he's not only a fellow worker, he's not only a fellow brother, but he's also a fellow soldier. Reminding us once again, that this life that we live here is a fight. Is Satan a defeated enemy? Has he lost the war? This is yes, this is no, and this is I don't know. Don't want to answer. Is Satan a defeated enemy? Yes, the Bible tells us that in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, that because of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, he brought Satan to a zero. But what is Satan continuing to do? Even though he's lost the war, he continues to do what? He continues to maintain guerrilla warfare. And he is trying to take down as many as he possibly can before his time is over. You've got, to hand it to G You've got to hand it to Satan about one thing. He is no quitter. No, many ha no matter how many times he's defeated, 
No matter how many times he doesn't get his will done because God says no, as many times as he tried, has tried to take me down, God says, nope, you can only light the fires under Richard so hot. <laughs> and I'm always going to allow Richard a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Always. And folks, day in and day out, what does Paul tell us to do in Ephesians 6? Be, be mindful of the schemes of the devil. Be mindful of his schemes. Take up the full armor of God and add to that full armor that you need to be putting on how often? Hello? Daily. On top of that, you ignite it with prayer so that you might be able to resist the attacks of the devil. Folks, we are soldiers. The Bible describes us as soldiers, not just athletes, not just as farmers, but the Bible describes us as soldiers. And Paul says, whatever you do as a Christian every day, take up your planopy, as it were, your full armor. And what do soldiers do? Have you ever thought about being a soldier and what they do? If they hear gunfire, what, what do you do when you hear gunfire? Well, normally, if you're in a mall or something, especially with what's been going on, if you hear gunfire, where are you heading? Man, you're heading for cover. But what do soldiers do when they hear gunfire? They head for the danger. It's just like our firemen and our police officers. What do they do when they have something dangerous going on? Well, instead of running away from it, they run to it. Paul says, Epaphroditus, he's just like me, a fellow soldier. And as Christians, we need to stop running away from danger. We need to find ourselves running to the action. Be there right in the midst of it. Not run away from it. And that's how Paul saw this man, Epaphroditus. I want to ask you three questions. About to find out kind of where we are in that servant-minded, humble attitude role that was just like the attitude of Christ that Timothy had that Paul had, that now Epaphroditus has mentioned. Who do you admire most? Who do you honor? Who gets your heart ticking, your mind going? What pictures do we have on our walls? What reading material do we enjoy being a part of? What value do we place on the person that we're thinking about? Who would it be that you would like to personally meet? Because that says a lot about where our hearts and our minds are. They say that Albert Einstein late in life, took down the pictures of Maxwell and Newton and put up the pictures of Schweitzer and Gandhi. 
And when he was asked why he had done that, he says he, was, he believed that over the years that it was about time to replace the image of success with the image of service. In the halls of our homes, in the halls of our minds and our hearts, who's pictured first? Who's there first? What do you think of first? When you see a need, an opportunity, who do you think of first? Now think about it. When you hear of a need that somebody has, who do you think of first? That person or your convenience? You see, the servant thinks about the needs of others before he thinks about the needs of themselves. Story told of a six-year-old girl who was dying from a dreaded blood disorder, disease. Very rare blood type. She was only six years old. And they began to search to try to find the same blood type. And there was nothing and no one to be found that could help her in getting the transfusion that she'd need to fight the disease and overcome it, except for one person. It was her nine-year-old brother. He was a perfect match. But nobody in the family was willing to ask the little nine-year-old boy if he would give his blood for his sister. But the doctor did. The doctor went to that boy and he asked the boy, he said, look, your sister is very sick. She may not survive this disease that she had. Would you mind giving your blood to her? And he said, sure, I'll do it. Nine years old. So they had him in a room together. The little girl, very sick, laying on one side and the little boy laying on the other and they put a hose between them to make the blood transfusion. And with eyes open from both of them, they looked at that blood being transfer, transferred from his body to her body. After it was over, they put him in the separate rooms and the doctor came in to see how the boy was doing. And he noticed the boy had tears in his eyes. <laughs> he said, are you okay? Why are you crying? And he says, doctor, I just want to know when I'm going to die. <laughs> the doctor kind of smiled under his breath, you know, and he said, he said son, you're, you're not going to die? And he says, I'm surprised you would even say, are you telling me? that you thought by giving your blood to your sister that you were going to die. And he said, yeah, that's what I thought. He says, if you knew that, then why would you go ahead and give your blood? And he said, easy, I, I love my sister. And I was willing to give my life for her. Now, folks, 
That is what being a servant is all about. And you notice what Paul says about that servant ministry. Oh, man, it smells good to God. And it goes up before God as a sacrificial offering. Don't you think it's about time that you and I get on the altar and become the living sacrifices we committed ourselves to become. It's about time, isn't it? When you think about Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice he was willing to make, How do you take a teenage boy, wrap him up, and put him on an altar unless that boy is willing to do it? You ever thought about that? My son is the tallest one in my family. (laughs) That may not say much when you're looking at me. But you know, I used to wrestle around with him, and it got to the point where I stopped wrestling around with my boy because he got pretty tough. Now, it may be that Isaac was just a teenager, but I've wrestled with some teenagers. They can be tough. And if Isaac hadn't been willing to allow his dad to tie him up and to place him up on that altar, that sacrifice would have possibly never gone through or been done. But he does it. Does Isaac know what's coming as a sacrificial offering? Cutting the jugular, as he's seen his father do, time after time after time. And as he gets ready to bring down that knife, God stops him. Stops him and provides a sacrifice for him. Now, I find that interesting because when God offered his lamb, And he brought down the knife. He didn't stop himself from doing it. He made the sacrifice so that you and I could live. What less is it that I can do myself? You see, that is the attitude. That's the heart in the mind of Hall of Famers that are mentioned in the Old and New Testament. I don't know about you. God has stopped writing the letter. But he's not stopped writing your life. And each day that we live is a page in God's memory book about who we are and what we're becoming. And all God is trying to do He's used us as a piece of clay to mold us and to shape us into the very image of His only begotten Son who became the supreme example of sacrifice for us all. I'm grateful for God's sacrifice, for His mercy, His grace through His Son. But I can show my love 
and appreciation and thankfulness to God by living a life just like Him. As together we stand and sing.